Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. Hey, welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Flaming, here as always. And today I have the honor of welcoming Daryl Weinman to the podcast. Her self-named law firm in the greater Austin area puts all of their heart into safeguarding their clients through family law matters, looking to achieve an outcome that enables them to move forward with hope for the future. She's also a published author on the subject of divorce. Daryl, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's have some fun. So you have kind of an interesting background. I was checking that out on your website. Um, kind of take us through briefly your background, your history, and how you found your current career. So I grew up in New York, just outside New York City, oldest of three girls. My parents divorced when we were 14, 12, and 10. Mm. I didn't know at the time, but it actually was a very friendly, easy divorce. But from a kid's standpoint, I don't think there's anything to do with divorce that's easy. And of course, it just it had a huge impact on me. Mm -hmm. Went to college at uh, Colgate University, upstate New York. After college, moved to New York City. I started working for J.P. Morgan on Wall Street. I thought maybe I would move up the ranks in J.P. Morgan, so uh, I needed another degree. I noticed everybody ahead of me had another degree. I had considered law school at one point, so I started going to law school at night and finished. Well, I worked for J.P. Morgan, went to law school at night, and when I had one semester left and realized corporate banking was not for me. (laughs) And New York City was not going to be for me either. I knew someday I wanted to raise kids, didn't want to raise them in New York City. I found Austin, Texas. I decided to do my last semester at UT Law School, uh, make sure that I really liked it here. I've been here ever since. I've been here now 29 years. My kids were born here, grew up here. They are now grown. I have one graduate from Texas A&M and I have one who's a junior at Colorado Boulder. Oh, really? Okay. All right. So you're a displaced. You don't hear about a lot of New Yorkers to Texas. I mean, I know maybe it happens more since the pandemic, but you don't hear about that a lot. You were an early adopter. Yeah. When I moved to Austin, it was not trendy yet. Right. Correct. Right. The real estate prices weren't super high. Right. Yeah. yeah. People were probably like, where are you from? But now I feel like the whole state of California has moved here. It's yes. Crazy. Yes. I've heard that. I'm in Florida, so I feel your pain. Yeah, we're <laughs> definitely on the same timeline there. Okay, so maybe if you could go back in time and give the younger you some advice, something that you know now that you wish you knew when you started out, what do you think that might be? You know, it's funny. I was, I was actually just talking about this last night, um, that when I was... 16, 17 years old, I was with my my best friend and we were talking about, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always knew I wanted to be a mom. Like that was, mm. that was always going to be my thing. And I thought, well, you know, if I had my own profession, professional office, like my orthodontist at the time who had his office attached to his house, 
Mm-hmm. I could work flexible hours. I could raise my kids. And that was another reason why I knew I needed to leave corporate Wall Street. Mm-hmm. I was never going to be able to raise my own kids. Nannies would be raising my kids. Yeah. And so if I go to law school and I'm an attorney and I have my own practice, I could have flexible hours. And I, I never had my office attached to my house, but in my younger years, I thought that was a thing that I could do, but I was able to participate in their lives. And I don't know that I would have, I knew I wanted that when I was 16. By the time I had my kids, I didn't know if that was a realistic possibility. And it was, and it was the best thing that I could have done. Yeah. And I, did, I sacrificed a lot of money leaving Wall Street. And if I was an attorney at JP Morgan, I'm sure I'd be making a whole lot more money but I wouldn't have the life that I have. And I'm glad that I did this instead. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting that you had that insight when you were that young. A lot of people figure that out when it's too late and uh, have a lot of regrets. So that's great. So how did you decide on the focus, the area of focuses for your practice? How did you so, come to that decision? Once I decided that corporate was not really for me, and part of that was because And I was a paralegal in their legal department um, for the last two or three years I was there. I worked in mergers and acquisitions before that. But in the legal department, I was such a small piece of these giant projects. And I didn't know, didn't have any reason to know all the facets of the entire project. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt very insignificant. I didn't really my job didn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. And if I can work one-on-one with a, like a real world problem, it just meant a lot more to me. So when I first started out, I was doing both family law and criminal defense, and I was solving real world problems for a real person who mm-hmm. looked to me for help. And now looking back, um, I'm sure that my parents' divorce had such a huge impact on me that that is something that I kind of wanted to give back and that I not only um, want to help the people going through the divorce, but I really want to focus on making sure the kids are okay. And I do give a lot of advice to my clients about, don't forget about what your kids are going through. Mm -hmm. Your fears, your worries are not their worries. They worry about other things and you really need to focus on what they're afraid of because it's not the same. They don't, they don't worry about bills. They don't worry about, you know, how much Right. They have a lot, you know, am I, are we going to have to move away? Am I never going to see my friends again? Am I never going to see grandma again? Are you and dad ever going to talk again? You know, things like that. And they need to, they can't be forgotten. Yeah. You bring up a great point there. My parents were also divorced when I was young. And so, you know, oftentimes you'll hear people say, um, it's not a big deal to the kids. They'll be fine. Right. So if you have a client who kind of has that opinion or the attitude, how do you, I guess, nicely educate them? (laughs) Maybe that isn't the case, or they do need to give it a little more consideration. Well, I hear that a lot. Oh, kids are resilient. Kids are resilient. And I tell them, you know what? Kids do have a great ability to adapt, but Mm -hmm. they're not resilient. And they are going to be affected by this. And how they're going to be affected by this depends on how you handle it with them. Mm. Don't ever put them in the middle. Don't put them in the position of, of spying on the other parent or keeping secrets from the other parent or delivering messages. I mean, that it will damage them forever. Mm-hmm. Keep their lives as stable and intact as possible. Keep them in their activities with their friends, their schedule. And when they ask questions, reassure them that everything's going to be okay, that uh, they're still going to have a relationship with both parents, that the, the grownups are making up grown-up decisions. Mm. Yeah, that's the crux right there. You <laughs> hope that the grownups make grown-up decisions. Yeah. That isn't always, that isn't always the case. 
So, I'll tell you what, though, too, is I tell them, especially, um, and, and I'll, you know, be a little sexist, but, you know, when I have the uh, moms tend to be more worried about money, dads tend to be more worried about the relationship with their kids. And what I tell the dads is that when my parents divorced, my dad said to me, we are now going to be court ordered to spend time together. (laughs) And when we were all in one house, you know, we would all come and go do our thing. Mm -hmm. We didn't spend a lot of one-on-one time together, but we are now court ordered to spend every Wednesday and every Sunday together. And it became real quality time. And my Mm -hmm. dad and I are very close to this day. And I think a lot of that comes from forced, but scheduled quality time together. And so I tell my clients, that's an opportunity for you and don't Mm -hmm. miss it. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you only get to do that, go through that once with your kids. Yep. All right. So maybe describe what your ideal client looks like for the type of services that you offer. I don't know if I have an ideal client. I mean, we do, we do prenuptial agreements. So obviously, and, and I think that people think, oh, those are just for rich people or just older people. And, and it's not true. Basically what a prenuptial agreement is, and I hate to call it divorce planning, mm-hmm. but when somebody gets to the point after however many years that they, they want to get divorced, they, it took them a while to get there. And when they're done, they're ready to be done. And they don't think about the fact that divorce is its own process. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you in Texas, it's faster than most other States, but it's not fast. It's at Mm -hmm. least six months, a year, two years. And it's, it's awful. A a prenup can cut that short because you basically agree up front. This is how we're going to divide things. If we split, we can cut it short. And so, so there is that benefit, but we do divorce. We do child custody between people who are not, married. Uh, We'll modify custody agreements, enforce it for people who, um, if it's not being followed. I have a staff of three associate attorneys. I personally like the complex asset cases. I think that Mm. comes from my financial JP Morgan history. I love to do um, complex business entanglements or unusual financial assets. That Mm -hmm. that, And I like um, the international custody stuff because I just love learning the laws of the other countries and figuring out the logistics. So personally, yeah. those are my two favorites, but we, we do all of it. You probably feel like you're in a movie with the, <laughs> with the international custody stuff, right? It's been, those have been some of my most interesting cases. The, 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 the truth is stranger than the fiction. Yeah, I actually had one with the Marshall Islands and uh, where a child was taken to them. And I had to pull out a map and figure out where are the Marshall Islands? Yeah, I don't even know where that is. I've heard of them. I don't know where that is. But. They're somewhere out in the Pacific, not too far from Guam is what I like. Okay, okay. And they're, and they're beautiful and I wish I could visit them. So maybe someday I will. All right. So are there some common misconceptions that people have about what you can do for them or about the process when you walk them through that? You know, I I try to give people a pretty realistic view when they come into my office. I don't want to set expectations. I'm not going to give them unrealistic expectations. People Mm -hmm. come in and they say, and Austin in particular is a big transplant city. I mean, it's a tech city. People come here from all over. And so a lot of times they came here because of one person's job. Well, when they're getting divorced, the other person says, all right, well, I'm done. I want to go home wherever home is. And they think that they're just going to be able to go, take the kids and go. And that's, that's a harsh reality for them when I have to tell them, the court's not going to let you take the kids away. You, you as a grown-up, made the decision to move here. The kids are here. Their other parent is here. And the court's not likely to let you move. Mm-hmm. And 
we can fight that fight if you'd like, but it's a slim chance. So yeah, yeah. That, that's a big one is people think I'm just, I'm just going to go home. Well, yeah. Right. And I think people do have that misperception. Yeah. And the, in most states, like you said, that's not going to be the case. And right. even, even putting the effort in to fight that, it's going to be a futile effort. So are there some common like fears or concerns that people have initially, you know, a lot of times people have never gone through this process, right? Never, never done this before. I'm new at this. So are there some big kind of fears that you commonly see initially? Yeah. And like I said, and it's kind of a sexist way to look at it, but to say that, you know, women are more afraid about money. Men Mm -hmm. are more afraid about their kids and, and women think, how am I going to survive? Especially if they've been a stay-at-home mom, they've been out of the workforce for a while. Now, how am I going to start over? How am I going to, um, where am I going to live? Am I going to be able to keep the house? Am I going to be able to keep my kids in their same school? You know, what's going to happen to me? And, you know, I, I try to get a full picture from them at the initial consultation about what is the estate? What is everybody earning? And figure out, look, this is what you're likely to get in the end. Mm-hmm. And just kind of let them know, look, you're probably not going to be able to keep the house, but let's look at the neighborhood and let's look at how much money you'll have coming in. And you're, you're still likely to be able to keep your kids in the same school. So I, I try to calm those fears. And the same with on the other side, you know, she's not going to be able to destroy your relationship with the kids. You're going to be able to see them. You know, we have a standard possession order in Texas mm-hmm. that's about 40 percent of the year on standard, even if we and we can always agree to something else. But you're going to have so much time and influence with your kids. You're, you're going to be part of their lives. Plus you can coach their soccer team or go to their, their dance recitals and you're going to see them. You can see them almost every day. You can even go to school and have lunch with them if, if you mm-hmm. want. So, mm-hmm. Okay. So this is just me asking your personal opinion. You've had a lot of years of experience with this. So what do you think people get wrong in the divorce process? What, what, what is it that, happens that makes it so costly and lengthy and emotionally taxing? Well, emotional. (laughs) That's that's right. You hit it right on is emotions are when emotions take over, that's when emotions and fears, that's when the, the cost goes up, it drags out. You know, a lot of times, and I get that adultery hurts. Okay. So if one side, one person cheated, the other side is hurt and angry and they want the other person to suffer. Mm Mm-hmm. Quite honestly, the courts don't care as much. Right. And They're so, agnostic, right? Yeah. And they may give, so Texas is a community property state. We generally split the estate close to a 50-50 split, taking into account certain factors. And one can be fault in the breakup of the marriage, like adultery. They're not mm-hmm. likely to go more than 55-45 unless there's some really extenuating circumstances. And so how hard do you really want to fight about that? And, and I get people who come in and go, well, I just want the judge to hear what he did to me. And I think the judge doesn't care. Right. Honestly. Well, he's heard he's heard that story 110 times. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to belittle them and just no. tell them, but nobody cares. But honestly, nobody cares. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I, I encourage them to work through it in therapy and move on and let's try to fight for your 55, 45 split in mediation or some other, you know, negotiation, but that's a big piece of it. When the, when the hurt and the anger, when they can't get past it, we're not getting anywhere. And we also, you know, divorce has the stages of grief, just like a death. You know, you start out with denial, uh, denial, depression, anger 
grief acceptance. Mm -hmm. And the person who comes into my office and says, I am done, I'm ready to file, get me out of this marriage. Well, they're at acceptance. They've already worked through all the stages. The other person might still be at denial because sometimes they come in and they've got papers in their hand and they say, I never saw this coming. I'm like, you've been living in separate rooms for five years. (laughs) But they really are in denial. And when Mm -hmm. someone's in denial, you could put the, give them 100% of the estate. They're not going to sign. They're not ready. They're not ready to accept it. And so I sometimes have to tell the person at acceptance, let's let the other person work through these phases a little bit. Let them catch up. Yeah. So that's got to be the challenge part is when people are in the same place, um, you've got to help them overcome that obstacle. And it's really hard to look at it removed of emotion, especially when there was hurt feelings or things that happened that got them to that point. Right. And plus, when they come to me, if they're not even separated yet into two households, like I have to tell them, look, let's let's get everybody into two households. Let's get if there's kids, let's get them on the routine of going back and forth. Let's get everybody on the path of managing their own finances for at least three, six months. Mm -hmm. Let the dust settle and then we can talk about final. Yeah, that's well said. So I I mentioned earlier, Daryl, that you, I think, have authored a few books. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the books that you've written? What was the motivation there and what are the topics or what are those about? So I got divorced myself back in uh, 2011 and I had been a divorce lawyer for 17 years at that point and thought I knew everything there was to know about going through a divorce and learned that I knew nothing Mm. (laughs) about what it feels like to be the client. And it was a very difficult divorce. Um, My ex-husband was also an attorney and I was on the stand at one point and he was representing himself cross-examining me. Mm. So I have been, I've seen this from a lot of different angles, but for me, healing from that, Mm. um, I started writing and I started writing and, and my friends changed. That was no longer, you know, out with all the couples. Now I'm out with yeah. the single moms. Yeah. And so I kind of watched patterns that happen to all of us as single women. The first book I started writing was, so the first book is your post-divorce journey back to yourself. And it's all about mm-hmm. post-divorce, rediscovering who you really are and getting back to that person, your, your authentic self. And I started writing it to just all divorced people. And as I did a lot of research and a lot of talking, I realized men and women don't process this the same. They, they just, they are, their experience is very different. So the first one was written for women because that's what I knew. Um, and then two years later, I wrote one for men. And then the, the third one is a collaborative effort with other divorce professionals. It's, okay. um, and it's, it's a lot more about getting through divorce less painlessly. And my chapter is about managing fear, not just your own fear, but managing the other person's fear. Mm. And so that's a, that's a big thing I try to get across to my clients is if we can manage their fears and calm them down, we can get an agreement. Yeah. So you, you brought up something interesting there. What, what have you viewed because you thought it was so important. You should write two books. What have you viewed as being the differences um, between men and women that you felt like you needed to write two books I know you mentioned some things like what they're worried about, but I mean, I guess emotionally or how they they process it, how are they different? So women tend to talk about their feelings and they talk about their feelings with their friends. And so women look for and generally have 
support systems. Men don't tend to do that as easily. Men look for, um, they may go to a baseball game or basketball game with a friend and they'll spend the evening together and never once mention anything about how they feel or what they're going through. Mm -hmm. Women, especially newly single women, are not going to just go out by themselves. Mm -hmm. They're not going to show up and sit in a bar by themselves, but men will. Women tend to be more hurt. Men tend to be more angry. So there's just processing things are just differently. And I find with a lot of men, not not all for sure, but a lot of men look at all women as they're just as horrible as my ex and treat the women that they start dating as if they're picking up where they left off Yeah, and punishing some stranger woman Mm -hmm. who didn't do what the first one did. Right. Um, So just kind of processing all of that. That's some really good insight. I've, I've seen the, a poll that's been done where they ask women, like, who's your best friend? And they usually, it's usually another woman. Mm-hmm. And when you ask men who their best friend is, they say it's their wife. So you can see where <laughs> if that marriage ends, then, you know, that's a big disconnect, right? Because the yeah. best friend of the guy was his wife before. And now uh, that's all been, or could have, could be all torn apart. So thank yeah. you for pointing those things out. That's really, that's really good insight. I like that. So um, let's switch gears just a little bit. What do you see kind of the, the biggest opportunity in the future for your practice, for your, for your law firm? So I have come up with the concept of a divorce resort. Um, and divorce resort is a way of getting people divorced in a much less contentious manner. Essentially, it's a mediation arbitration. They agree ahead of time that they're going to mediate for up to two full days and people look at me and go, what could we possibly talk about for two full days? But be surprised. Yeah, you'd be surprised. <laughs> but they will try to work out everything themselves. And people who are motivated to get their divorce done generally can work out almost every detail. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they'll come up with this great plan. They're both super happy with it. And then I give them the paperwork and the person who's not quite ready to be divorced just can't put pen to paper yeah. or will start coming up with and one more thing and one more thing. So if they can't get it done between the two of them, and I do this with them in two completely separate rooms, they are not talking to each other at all. Mm-hmm. I go back and forth. I let them vent. I let them tell me what they want, why they want it. And then at the end, they can't finalize it. They agree that I can finalize the last piece as a binding arbitration. Mm -hmm. So they can get the entire thing done in a weekend. (laughs) I like to do it at a comfortable place at a a resort where they can go for a walk, go for a swim, hit some golf balls when they need to calm down, come back to the table. But that's the idea of it. And so I've been promoting that because honestly, divorce that goes to litigation is not only ugly for the two people involved and their kids, but it's, they drag in their in-laws and Mm -hmm. their neighbors and the teachers and the doctors and on and on and on. And it damages those relationships forever. Yeah. Um, Everyone has an opinion, right? It's not necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, So this way they can do it privately on their timeline Without dragging in all these other people, they can have attorneys. They don't need to have attorneys. It's totally up to them. I can do this in any jurisdiction because I'm acting as a neutral, so not as mm-hmm. an attorney. Mm-hmm. So that is what I would hope is the future of divorce is friendlier. And they can bring in whatever experts they need too. If we need an appraisal on the house, we need a business value, things like that. We can have mm-hmm. that information. But this way, they're coming up with the solution that works for their families because the cookie cutter solutions that the legislatures come up with, they don't work for a lot of families. 
Yeah, the default option, right. Okay, so maybe on the flip side of that, Daryl, what do you kind of see as a, a challenge or an obstacle, something that may be impeding the practice or your growth in some way that you want to overcome? Lack of communication between the parties mm-hmm. and sometimes the attorneys who are advising them are running up the conflict unnecessarily. And that's part of the problem. The attorneys can even talk to each other civilly. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of times we can come up with creative ideas to pass on to our clients or we can resolve most of the issues. And if there is still one where there's a legitimate conflict, we'll bring that to the court. But keeping the emotion out of it for the attorneys and communication is key. Yeah. Well, and that's getting tougher and tougher nowadays because everyone is. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you say? Uh-huh. <laughs> Everyone's staring at their phone. And you can't read tone into text yeah. messages or emails. Right. And so I have people who come in and go, look at what the other person said to me. And I look at it and go, I don't see it. <laughs> yeah, to an objective person. Yeah. I don't yeah, see the emotion in that. Or we, maybe we should clarify that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and I'm interested in your personal opinion on this as well. If you could give us maybe one piece of advice on just resolving conflict in general in our own lives, what do you think that would be? Listening. Communication is is key. And I've been through enough marriage counseling myself to learn that when two people are in conflict, you need to sit and listen to the other person and really listen and not just have them talking while you're formulating your response, but actually really listen to them, repeat it back to them, make sure you heard it right. And then, and then say, well, you know what, if that is how you perceive this, then I can understand why you feel the way you do. You don't have to Mm -hmm. agree with them, Mm -hmm. but you can validate them and then they will listen to you. And then maybe the two of you calmly can come up with whatever compromise you need. And you don't have to agree. You don't have to see things the same way because no two people, even the closest of friends are ever going to have agree on everything. And that's okay. It's okay to allow the other person to have their own opinion and be different. That's okay. Yeah. That's well said. And I think maybe our uh, theme for our conversation today was we're hoping adults make adult decisions. (laughs) (laughs) If that's possible in our world today, who knows? Yeah. So, Daryl, if people want to get a hold of you, they want to learn more about you or get in touch, how how should they do that? So I do have a website. Um, It's WeinmanFamilyLaw.com. My last name is Weinman, W-E-I-N-M-A-N. So WeinmanFamilyLaw.com. They can send an email that way. We actually now have a new feature. It will send us a text message too. It has our phone number, uh, which is 512-472-4040. And um, I practice in the greater Austin area, but if they're interested in something like divorce resort, I can do right. that anywhere. Yeah, that's not jurisdictional because it's a coaching arrangement, right? Right. All right. Thanks for clarifying that. Daryl, thank you for being here with me today. It's been a great conversation and I'm very happy to have spent this time with you. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it, too. Yeah. Thank you all for tuning in to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we're hoping to bring the retirement confidence of everyday people just like you to another level, one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Be well. Take care. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.